This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Humility Like Christ, and it comes from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. Whether that's iTunes or Google or Amazon or Spotify, we're there too. Just search for WMER. Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians and we're going to study about humility. Paul talks to them about humility because it is one of the three main themes I told you about as we kicked off this study in Philippians that are in the book of Philippians or the three main themes in the book. One is just an update on him and a thank you letter for their support. Again, we studied that in week one and two. Also, there's a warning about false teachers in this book. And then the third and final, and what we're really going to start on today, is a pleading for unity in the church. The humility that we're going to read about today, he uses Jesus as an example because the humility that Jesus had was unmatched to anybody else in the Bible. We live in a society today that doesn't think anything about selfishness and humility, but when you get married, or at least in my life, when I got married, and also when I had children, those were two events in my life when all of a sudden they spoke to me. They were a realization of some selfishness that I had in my life. And we see here today that just like in marriage and just like in kids, that we can't be selfish. And that's what Paul teaches about unity and about humility, and he points to Jesus. If you went to a leadership class on humility, they would give you a four or five point steps on becoming humble. But here, Paul just points to Jesus. He gives this church a one-step process. Be more like Jesus. I do have a lot to cover, so let's just jump right into the text. Turn with me to Philippians 2. We'll start in verse 1, and I'll be reading out the ESV. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. 
So we see he starts off and he says, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, of course we have encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort, yes, we have comfort in Christ. Yes, we have love. That word love right there is agape. If you go look at the Greek, it's agape. It was There's four types of love. This is the sacrificial love. Any participation in the spirit, that participation word is cornea, which means fellowship. So if there's fellowship in the spirit, and of course there is in this church, any affection and sympathy, both of those bring me joy. All of this, if you do this, will complete my joy. And then what does he say right there in verse 3? Look at it with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. There's nothing wrong with ambition. We've talked about that before. But selfish ambition, when it's about you and it hurts others, that's not good. On the second half of verse 3. But in humility, the key word that we're studying about today, count others more significant than yourself. In others, put others first. Believe it or not, this was counterculture back in that day, in the first century. But it's definitely counterculture today. Our society tells us to put yourself first. It's all about you. If it feels good, do it. But right here and throughout the Bible, we see it is counterculture. It's not about you. It's about Jesus first. It's about others second. And then it's about you. As a matter of fact, if you take the first letters from each of those, Jesus, others, you, that spells joy. Right here, we see that Paul's telling them how to have joy. I remember we studied about joy in children's church. And what we saw in children's church was this acronym I just gave you. Jesus first, others second, and then you last. That gives you joy. You're like, Tim, I thought we were talking about humility. Well, we are talking about humility. But remember, I told you that in Philippians, the word joy or joyful or rejoice is used 14 times in four chapters. It's a very strong word that Paul uses, and it's one that we need to learn as Christians. That's how you find true joy. Jesus first, others second, you last. And that's so counterculture. I mean, our society feeds on driving yourself first. I mean, think about social media. It's all about me, me, me. Look what I'm eating. Look where I'm at. Look at me. It's about me. Matter of fact, the word selfie. Is that not selfishness? Selfie. It's about me. Where's the focus of that word? It's on me. Now, don't get me wrong. I think social media has been very helpful in a lot of areas. It's brought people together. It allows people to connect with one another. I work for an internet company, and it is all about helping people get connected. But social media has almost changed this culture to be more narcissism. It's about me. It's about look at me. And when we get to that point, it becomes selfishness. And we have to walk a fine line there that we don't step over into that. I'm on social media, so I'm preaching to myself as well. But I want you to hear me loud and clear. What Paul is saying was anti-culture back in the first century, and it's truly anti-culture today. Right here, we see that Paul backs up what I'm saying and what I'm teaching today. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 4, let's look at verse 4 because he even takes it up a notch. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul doesn't come out and say, but based on what he's writing here, there was definitely some issues going on in the heart of this church. He's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition that 
That Greek word for selfish ambition is the same word that he used in Philippians 1.17 that we looked at last week. Flip back to 1.17 with me real quick. He says in chapter 1, verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul is really finishing up chapter 1, and he's carrying it over into chapter 2, saying, there's these people in the church that are taking advantage of me while I am still in prison. And Paul is now addressing an issue in the church, and he's saying the first step to a kind of unity that we need to have in this church together, it is not about self, it's that we shouldn't be motivated by selfish ambition or about conceit. What we need to do is to love others. It shouldn't be about us. It should be about others. They should be first. Don't forget where you came from and what God did for you. And that's a problem that the church has even today is sometimes we look down on sinners. Those that aren't in the church yet when I call sinners because I'm still a sinner. Now, I've been washed by God's blood. He is Lord of my life, but I'm still a sinner, just like others are sinners. The difference is I claim to be a Christian. I claim to have Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. And sometimes the church, unfortunately, has people in it that looks down on what the lifestyle that other people live. Even though I don't approve it, I'm not better than them because at one time I was them. And when we forget who we were, when we forget where we came from, all of a sudden we become a little high and mighty. We become self-motivated. We become conceitful. And Paul is saying, don't do this in the church. Back in the first century, the Greeks considered a lowliness, a humility to be a fault, not to be a virtue. It was thought to be disgraceful when you came down below a statue of which you were, when you became humble and you came down to another person's status. And isn't that still some of the attitude we see in the church? I mean, I just talked about that. We see that, sadly, in the church today as well. And we need to be what Paul says here. We need to be humble. We need to put others first. Again, I talked about this last week. When we look at people that we respect, a lot of times they did move and have ambition to get further ahead but they cared about people. They inspired people. And we do that by helping others and getting involved. And right here in verse 4, Paul doesn't tell us that it's wrong to look out for our own interests. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, so he says it's okay to look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So not only do you take care of yourself, but we've got to take care of one another. That's unity. That is humility. Listen to what Peter was inspired to write out of 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of an elder, and all of you dress yourself in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time that he may exalt you. In other words, we, just like young people learn from their elders, that wisdom that we as youth hear from our elders, he says we're to keep the humility even as we get older. And we do that so that we have unity and that, let, and that also lets God raise us up at the right time for our honor. So Paul is challenging them to live in humility. And then he says, how do we do this? 
Well, look at verse 5 with me, that Jesus is the ultimate example of that. What does he say in verse 5? He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, have this mindset. Everyone needs to have this same mindset that Christ had. And he goes on to say in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equal with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born to the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the cross. Paul now points to Jesus, and he explains who Jesus was and had the right to expect more. The deity that he had, but yet he humbled himself better than anyone else. And that he came and he took on the likeness of men, even though he was in the form of God. He was not equal to God. He emptied himself of all the stuff that he had, and he was a servant to the Father. Being born by man and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, where Jesus went to the cross to be our sacrifice. Verse 5-8 through eight is in the example that Jesus lived out before us. It is how we do this. And Paul points out in these verses the fact that Jesus was equal to God. And because Jesus was divine, his consent to become a man was the most remarkable of all possible acts of humiliation. He is the very essence of God because he's a part of the tribune, and he decides to put all that aside and embrace humility. Despite the fact that he was equal with God, he did not cling to that equality. He was willing to set it aside. And he became a man. He surrendered his right to manifest himself as God and all the splendor and glory to come and not only come as a king, but as a carpenter's son, as a nobody. And if you look at the Greek where he says that he made himself nothing, that literally means he emptied himself, it means he laid everything he had, rank and dignity to the side. Paul is telling this church that he emptied everything. He became nothing. It's like a king renouncing his throne and going and living homeless on the street. That doesn't even come close to what Jesus did, but it's just an example so I can let you picture what Paul is trying to get across to them. And also understand to be the perfect sacrifice. And because he became a man, he had to be obedient to the law. And he did. He humbled himself and made himself a servant of a slave, obedient to God's will and purpose. He obeyed even when his obedience resulted in his death. It's easy to be obedient when things are good and there is no danger to yourself, but it's not so easy and almost impossible when the obedience may cause you to get hurt or to cause death. He took on the request as a sacrificial lamb that led to death. But not only did he take on death and was obedient to it, but it wasn't a quick and fast death. It was a painful, lingering, humiliating execution, fit only for the worst of the criminals. Yet he wasn't a criminal. Despite being the very nature of God, he remained humble, and he became obedient to the law as a man, even as it resulted in a painful death and public humiliation. What Paul is wanting them to understand as the perfect example of humility is Jesus Christ because Jesus was God. Jesus stepped down to be man, and he humbled and obeyed the Father all the way to death. 
but I also want you to see that he finishes with the restoration of Jesus. In verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Then in verse 9, starts his restoration. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Right there in verse 9, it says that God exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, there is power in that name Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. And then he says that every knee shall bow in heaven, that's in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me point out something right here, because if you just read this, you might think that everybody's going to be saved. And there are people that even kind of teach this. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that there is coming a day when everyone on this planet, everyone that is dead, everyone that is in heaven, will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But what I want you to understand is that if you make the dec this declaration before death, then that is salvation. But if you have to make this declaration after you've died, that is damnation. You might ask Tim, with you pointing that out, why would this be in a section of Scripture where Paul is teaching about humility? Well, he's just talked about Christ being the ultimate example of humility and how we should follow that. Paul is making sure that everyone understands about the deity of Christ. And he says that in the second coming, that's what he's talking about here. This is a clear indication that this is going to occur at the second coming of Christ. Christ came in humility and he died a humiliating death on the cross for the sins of the world. And his second coming, Christ will come with power as the conqueror, the king, and Jesus taught about this in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, about how the Son of Man will come back in all his glory. And even the vision was given to the Apostle John in Revelation 20, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords returns to this earth, that he will come true what, that, what the prophet Isaiah said years ago, Back in Isaiah 45, that this will come true. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance to the Lord. That is why I make the statement that this is a statement of either salvation or a statement of damnation. Because there is going to be made this statement one day, whether you're alive or dead. And when you make that statement determines where you'll end up for eternity. See, there have been people in every generation all the way back to Paul's time who doubted who Jesus was and even rejected the gospel message. But when Jesus returns, there will be no disputing who Jesus is. No one will be able to deny who Jesus is once he returns. Therefore, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is indeed the Lord of all. And this verse tells us that those in heaven those on earth and those underneath the earth will kneel before Jesus and profess that he is Lord. 
Those in heaven refers to the heavenly and uh, angelic beings, those that have gone on before us. Those on earth refer to those humans that are alive at the time. And those under the earth most likely refer to demonic beings and those that have died and not yet faced the great white throne of judgment. And I also want you to understand this verse speaks to the inclusiveness of this statement that everyone, not some, not most, but everyone will kneel before the Lord and claim that he is Lord. And what we need to walk away from, which I'm not trying to scare people into salvation, because if you scare someone to being saved, you have to keep them scared to stay saved. But as I started off, I want to be clear that this passage is not conveying that all people will come to be saved. On the contrary, it affirms, though, that everyone that chooses not to make Jesus their Lord will one day kneel before him and acknowledge who he is. Ultimately, whether you're saved or not, there is a day coming that all will recognize Jesus and they will admit that he is the only Lord and Savior. As believers, this verse should make us be excited. We should be anticipating the day when Jesus returns, that we will be able to affirm our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. As followers of Christ and as believers, this is a form of adoration and acknowledgement of Jesus being the Lord of all. But for the non-believers, the non-followers of Christ, those who reject the gospel and do not accept Jesus as their Savior, this is going to be a moment where they will face the reality of who Jesus is. They will be humbled at that moment. It'll be a moment when they realize the error that they made and not choosing to repent and to turn to Jesus. It'll be an incredibly sobering moment when they realize that they were wrong about who Jesus was. And as you walk away from this lesson today, there is no escaping the truth about Jesus and the reverence he is due as Lord. And because of that, everyone that has rejected Jesus will bow before the king that died on a cross for their salvation that they choose to deny and confirm his lordship. Other thing we need to be aware of, Matthew 24, 42, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the destruction of the temple, and then he gives the signs of the end time. But towards the end of that chapter, he starts telling them about the day and the hours unknown. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. That's verse 36. And it continues on in verse 37. As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in that day before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus promised that we, there is a second coming. And he says, be ready. What I want you to understand is we need to be ready. See, the second coming of Jesus will happen at a time that is unknown to any of us. So it's imperative that we live each day as though it would be the day that Jesus returns. See, we need to be ready because a day is coming. It is approaching fast. 
that every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And this verse is a reminder that believers have been commissioned to go out and share that gospel to all the people and all the nations so that others will repent and put their faith in Jesus. We've been entrusted with this message of hope that everyone needs to hear it and we are instructed to go tell it. It's our responsibility given to us by Jesus to go evangelize it and witness it to the world, to the lost and those that are broken. I'm already running out of time, so let me wrap this up with this final thought. What does it look like to be humble like Jesus? Well, first, it's being humble like Jesus means that we have to let go. Letting go is not something that is easy for us. It's not something that we are typically good at. Most of us, at least at some level, have a desire to be right. We get passionate about things. And I think that it's good that we are passionate about that. It's, it's good to care about things in life. But the problem is, is that we can get so focused and zoomed in on the things in ourselves and being right that we forget about others and what matters to them, the things they care about. And so just like Paul told this church to be humble and to put others first, we need to do likewise, which really means being humble like Jesus means putting others first. And this is hard for us as well. Not only letting go, but putting others first. See, it's a very common reaction to say, but what about me? The problem with that is that as the church, as a believer, we need to be continually thinking about others, working to help others. Not about what it does for us, but how do we help others? When we have that mindset, we have the same mind of Jesus Christ. And the very final thought about how we humble like Jesus means that we're obedient to God. Just like Jesus was obedient to God. Jesus emptied himself, stepped down to become a man, but not only become a man, but be humble and be obedient to God's will, even that obedience that led to his death, the humiliation on the cross. Now, we may not be called to die on a cross like Jesus was, but we are called to be humble, to have humility and be obedient in that humility to the Father. See, really, all of this could be summarized into being humble like Jesus means that we die to ourselves and we are obedient to God's word and to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and he, we allow him to lead us. My prayer for every one of you listening is that we embrace humility in our daily life and in our interaction so that we can find the unity together as Christians to bring the message of Christ to the world. Just like I said last week, it's not about who planted the seed and who watered the seed. It's about being faithful and allowing the seed to grow, that God allows that seed to grow. See, when we're in unity, then we are able to show the relationship of Jesus to others and he can heal a broken world. Will you do that today? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you that you were willing to step down, that you were willing to empty yourself. Lord, that you were willing to take on the form of man, that you were all God, in a manly form, but and you were all man, but yet you were still God. Lord, we just thank you that you stepped down and you saw that there needed to be an ultimate sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and that you did that for us, that you took yourself to the cross, you took the humiliation of the cross, 
And Lord, you went to the cross for all our sins. And Lord, I pray today that each and every one that can hear my voice has admitted that, that you are Lord. They have made you Lord of their life. Because there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And Lord, I pray that they do that before they leave this earth. Lord, that they find salvation and not damnation. Lord, I pray today if there's one that's listening that's not done that, Lord, I pray today that they will understand that we have all sinned and fallen short and that we need you. And we need you as Lord of our life. Lord, I pray that they would admit they're a sinner. They would believe on your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death and gave us victory over death. And Lord, they would make you Lord of their life and chase after you. Lord, maybe there's one that showed up today and even though they said and they've made you Lord of their life, they've not taken it any further. They're not living a sacrificial life. They're not living a humble life. It's more about me and not about others. Lord, I pray today that they would ask for you to help them die to themselves daily, Lord, and that they would be more like you. And Lord, that your spirit would lead them. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.